Welcome to House of David Ministries. I'm Pastor Eric. And I'm Gabriella. Join us as we learn about the rich heritage of our Christian faith. In each episode, we explore a unique topic that will deepen your knowledge of Christ and who we are as His people. Hello and welcome to another House of David podcast. For those of you who are new to House of David, we are a teaching ministry that helps Christians understand their biblical heritage and connection to Israel. My name is Gabriella, and I'm really looking forward to today's discussion with Pastor Eric. Hi, Eric. Hi, Gabby. All right, this is going to be a really exciting podcast. So over the the past several months, we've discussed the Old Testament, the Jewishness of Jesus, and the significance of Israel to Christians. This month, Jewish people all around the world will be celebrating the festival of Sukkot, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. Eric, now you get asked all the time about this and about other Hebrew festivals, and you get asked, you know, whether Christians should celebrate them. But first, why don't you give us an overview of these annual festivals, you know, why they were given to Israel and what they signify prophetically? Yeah, those are all great questions. So I'm going to start with an overview of the feasts, and then we can begin to unpack their deeper meaning. Now, the first thing I need to say is that it's impossible to understand God's festivals and his high holy days without knowing God's Hebrew calendar and his biblical prophecies. We have to understand all of it so that we can see how they're all tied together. So I'm going to show, I'm going to walk us through how they are all connected. Now, as Christians, we eagerly await the return of Jesus, and therefore we should try to understand the events that point to this great event. And there are prophetic signs in Scripture that correlate with God's calendar, his Hebrew calendar, and feast cycles that give us hints, breadcrumbs, or clues about when this might happen. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 32, Now learn this parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So, in other words, Israel is the time clock of God's prophetic calendar, and Israel is the key to understanding these latter-day events that point to the imminent return of Jesus. So, let's begin with God's calendar that he gave to Israel. Now, the Lord divided Israel's days and years into intervals of seven. Seven days is called a week, and seven years is also called a week. And the seventh day is the Sabbath or the Shabbat, and the seventh year is called a sabbatical year or a Shemitah. So this number seven is divine. It, it re- represents divine fulfillment and essentially the fulfillment or completion of biblical prophecy. Now, a little side note here. It's interesting that Jesus' ministry in Israel lasted for about three and a half years at when he first came. And his dealing with Israel at the end of the age concludes with another three and a half years for a total of seven years. And these last three and a half years are called the Great Tribulation or the time of Jacob's sorrow. Now, Israel's festivals began at the Exodus when the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt and they were instructed to celebrate the Lord's Passover. And in Leviticus chapter 23, we see a summary of all seven annual festivals and the high holy days that the Lord had ordained during Israel's time in the wilderness. And four of these were in the spring and three in the fall. 
So Gabby, why don't you read the opening of Leviticus 23 for us? And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Leviticus 23, verse 1. Yeah, God explicitly declared these holy convocations, called Moadim, to be his feasts, and he ordained them as times of prophetic fulfillment. And Jesus not only celebrated all of these festivals, but he explicitly is the fulfillment of them. So Paul said, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. And Jesus, on the night of the Passover, celebrated the Passover with his disciples, and he officiated the new covenant with them. And over the next several days, Jesus was, he was crucified, he was buried and resurrected during the Passover, the festival of unleavened bread, which lasted for seven days and came immediately after the, after the day of the Passover. And then during that time on the first day of the week, which was a Sunday, was what was called the offering of first fruits, or sometimes called the feast of first fruits. And that's the day of the resurrection. And, and Jesus fulfilled these spring prophecies and they correlate directly with the Hebrew calendar and these holy convocations that God gave to Israel. So regarding the Passover, Paul instructed Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. He said, Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So while the observance of the Passover during the time of the Old Testament initially had restrictions for Gentiles, for the surrounding nations, it was not prohibited for them to partake in it if they came under the bond of the Old Covenant. In other words, if they became part of Israel, they were allowed to come near Israel, come near the temple of the Lord and celebrate the feast, celebrate the Passover. But with the officiation of the New Covenant that Jesus officiated, God opened the door for all the nations to receive Christ and to celebrate this great festival that now not only commemorates the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt, but also our deliverance from the bondage of sin and death. And then, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit was poured out on Jerusalem, but also on all flesh, meaning all the nations, on this festival called Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks, what we know as the Day of Pentecost. But, you know, the Passover also points to a future time of redemption for the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. And so do the fall High Holy Days, the festivals that come in the fall time period during the months of September and October, the Hebrew month of Tishrei. These commemorate the second advent or the second coming of Christ. And so like the Passover, the fall convocations are comprised of three separate but distinct observances that are all connected to the return of Jesus. And the first one is called the Feast of Trumpets, or Yom Teruah, which really in Scripture means that called, it's called the Day of Blowing. And then uh, 10 days after that is called the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. And then lastly, five days after that is the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot. It's also called the Feast of the Ingathering. Now, in the Feast of Trumpets, the shofar, which is a ram's horn, is traditionally sounded 100 times and then on the Day of Atonement, the shofar is blown one last time. And so again, these three convocations prophetically point to Christ's second advent 
and it will be with the sound of a great trumpet, a loud trumpet, that the Lord will come. That is really interesting. So Israel is God's time clock, and he gave them not only the prophecies for the arrival of the Messiah, but specific calendar events that point to the literal fulfillment of what Jesus has done and will do for Israel. So to quickly summarize, the spring festivals, as you discussed, are essentially fulfilled already. Passover was fulfilled with the death of Jesus, the lamb whose blood was shed for our sins. The Feast of Unleavened Bread points to our Messiah's sinless life, making him the perfect sacrifice for our sins. The offering of first fruits was fulfilled with Christ's resurrection. And the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, was fulfilled with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So let's now dig more deeply into the fall high holy days and how these correlate with Old and New Testament prophecies. Well, sure. As we've already seen, God gave Israel a very precise calendar and the Jewish people have continued to meticulously calculate their holy convocation dates to this very day, even without the temple in Jerusalem. So this is where a proper view of biblical theology and eschatology is essential because it's the only way to connect God's calendar to prophecy. And as we've been talking about in the previous episodes, that holding to a premillennial view is important because Jesus has not returned, nor is his kingdom here yet. And he's not going to do so without first dealing with Israel during what's called the seven-year tribulation period, or also it's called the 70th week of Daniel. That's another whole discussion that we won't get into today. But that last week, remember I said that uh, seven years is also called a week, but that last seven-year period is the time of the tribulation. Now, I'm going to caveat that what all of the things that I'm about to share with you are what is called an exegesis, meaning that I've taken years of meticulous study, scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, biblical prophecy, and the books of Moses with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and connected all these dots together to see how it all fits, because biblical prophecy does not always follow a linear timeline. And we often see partial fulfillments of certain prophecies, but many prophecies have yet to be completely fulfilled. So let me give you an example. In Matthew 24, verse 2, Jesus said, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Well, if you've ever visited the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, you will find that some of the original foundation stones are still in place. So was Jesus generalizing? Well, I don't think so. Because in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, we read, And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, it's referring to the coming of Jesus, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half toward the south. So the return of Jesus is going to be cataclysmic. In fact, in Revelation uh, chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, it says, And there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as has not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city, which is a reference to Jerusalem, was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. So again, if there are stones still standing on the Temple Mount, they will not be standing there after Jesus returns. And he's going to build a brand new millennial temple, not rebuild any of the old ones. We're going to now start talking about how these fall high holy days and convocations actually align with these events of the return of Jesus. So 
The return of Jesus is not going to happen in one day. It's going to happen over a period of time, beginning, of course, with the rapture and then the final judgments that are all of the judgments that are poured out on the nations during the seven year period, and then culminating in the actual return of Jesus at the very end of the seven years. So in, uh, in Luke 21, verse 36, Jesus said, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the son of man. This is a really important verse because standing before the Lord means that we have become part of his heavenly counsel. So in other words, the church, after we are raptured and after the resurrection that occurs simultaneously, we are witnessing God's judgments upon the earth from the spiritual or the heavenly realm. And in the book of Revelation, the apostle John was taken up in the spirit to witness all of God's judgments. And in Revelation chapter four, verse one, it says, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Now, another important detail for the church to recognize that like Moses in the wilderness who interceded for Israel during the sin of the golden calf, the church will also do the same for Israel and for all of their sin and their rebellion against, against God, against their Messiah. In Joel uh, chapter 2, verse 17, it says, Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach, that the nations should rule over them. Now, some might see these priests as Levites, but here in Joel, they're speaking about God's heritage, which is Israel, and they do not identify with them. They, they're saying your people, not our people. So it's another group that is speaking about Israel. And I believe that this is a reference to the church that is interceding for the Jewish people. We, the church, are called a royal priesthood. And when Jesus returns, we are coming with him. As you've already said, Gabby, coming to where? Well, we're coming to Jerusalem. And for what purpose? Well, to rule and reign with Jesus over all the nations. And I believe this is the great re reward that Jesus spoke of. And he's going to give his delegated and trusted authority to those who have obediently followed him, even unto death. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, Jesus said, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. This is really interesting. And Eric, you're really helping us see the importance uh, for Christians to understand God's word regarding his calendar and feasts and how these are connected to biblical prophecy. So Eric, why don't you show us now how the fall festivals correlate with the specific events of the return of Jesus? Sure. As I mentioned, there are three fall high holy days and appointed convocations. And just to summarize again really quickly, these are Yom Teruah, which is the Feast of Trumpets or the Day of Blowing, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. So let's start with the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets aligns, I believe, with the seventh seal in the book of Revelation, where it says in Revelation 11, verse 15, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So we see this day prophetically representing the revealing, but also the coronation of our King, Jesus, Yeshua. And notice again that this declaration is to the kingdoms of the world, not the heavenly realm. Christ is presently seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly kingdom. 
but he is returning to earth to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So this seventh trumpet has to align with God's holy convocations. And again, specifically, I believe it aligns with this memorial of blowing trumpets, Yom HaTeruah. And this convocation then is followed 10 days later by the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and the then, uh, and these 10 days in between are called the Days of Awe. Now, the rabbis teach that the Festival of Trumpets is the day on which we crown God King of the universe. In other words, it's the coronation of our King. And this is significant because, again, on this future date that I believe will align perfectly with God's calendar, Jesus, the King of Israel, will return to the earth and the Jewish people will crown him as their King. But his return will unfold over a period of time. It's not just going to happen immediately in one day. It's going to unfold over a period of time for them to see and know who he is. So the rabbis also teach that the heavens are open during these 10 days of awe, which are the 10 days between the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. In Revelation 11, verse 19, it says, Then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the Ark of His Covenant was seen in His temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment, pretending if you were standing on the earth, of course, we know we will be raptured out of the earth, but pretend for a moment you're standing on the earth, and you're all of a sudden looking up, and you see the heavens receding like a scroll. The sun, the moon, and the stars vanishing before you, just disappearing, and the temple of God filling the expanse of the heavenly realm, becoming visible to every creature on the face of the earth. Also imagine yourself standing amidst a jubilant crowd gathered above the earth in the heavens to celebrate the coronation of our King, Jesus, hearing a trumpet blast that will reverberate both terror and joy when the creation fully submits to God's sovereignty. And just like when the Lord descended upon Mount Sinai, Kings of the earth will writhe in terror from the end-time encounter with the living God. So, Gabby, go ahead and read Revelation 6, verses 14 through 17 for us. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And these kings not only see the temple of God in heaven, but they see the face of him who sits on the throne. And they know that they are about to be destroyed, because it says in Exodus 33 verse 20, God said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. So they know their imminent fate, and so therefore they cry out to be hidden from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So for ten days the heavens will be open, and seven angels will pour out seven bowls of the final wrath of God on the earth. So Gabby, why don't you read for us Revelation chapter 15, verses 5 through 7. Behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened, and out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. 
Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Revelation 15 verses 5 through 7. Yeah, these are, these are bad plagues. Men will be struck with loathsome sores. The sea and the waters of the earth will turn to blood. Men will be scorched with fire. Darkness and pain will cover the earth, and the Euphrates River will dry up, preparing for a vast army of 200 million men to rise from the east and come against Israel in the war to end all wars, the Battle of Gog and Magog, or what we call Armageddon. So 10 days after the memorial of blowing trumpets is the Day of Atonement. And this day is about Israel's final and permanent restoration. So Gabby, go ahead and read Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 60 through 63 for us. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your older and your younger sisters. For I will give them to you for daughters, but not because of my covenant with you. And I will establish my covenant with you then you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth anymore because of your shame when I provide you an atonement for all you have done, says the Lord God. Ezekiel 16, verses 60 through 63. And the Day of Atonement is the holiest day of the year for the Jewish people. And it's a solemn day when we afflict our souls. But it's also an extremely joyful day because we know that on this day, God will forgive all our sins. So it commemorates the day when God forgave the Jewish people for the sin of the golden calf. But it also represents the day when Jesus physically returns to the earth, as it says in Zechariah 14, verse 4, in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. So again, while we know that Christ officiated the new covenant at the time of the Last Supper, his work with Israel will not be complete until he returns to establish his kingdom through her. So on this day, this day of atonement, the Lord will make final atonement for his land and for his people, Israel. Gabby, read Deuteronomy 32, verse 43 for us. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. Like the Pharaoh who pursued the children of Israel into the sea and died, so it will be when the sixth bowl of judgment is poured out on the kings of the earth. They also will assemble themselves in the utmost display of contempt and arrogance against the God of heaven and earth. God is going to judge the demons, the fallen Elohim, the lowercase gods of this world, and he will judge the men and the women who worship them. In Revelation 16, verse 14, it says, For they are spirits of demons performing signs, which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And in Daniel 11, verse 16, it says, He, meaning the Antichrist, shall stand in the glorious land, speaking of Israel, with destruction in his power. So the Lord is going to hook their jaws and lead them into battle and ultimately to their destruction. In Ezekiel chapter 30, verses 2 and 3, it says, Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God, Wail, woe to the day, for the day is near, 
Even the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, the time of the Gentiles. But after this, Christ will come in the clouds with power and great glory, and out of his mouth will go forth this sharp sword, that with it he will strike the nations. So read Zechariah 14, verses 3 and 4 for us, and we've already read parts of this. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two. So Christ is coming, and when his feet touch down, the mountain is is devastated. It splits into two two pieces. I mean, you can just imagine the the power, the sheer power and strength of Christ descending upon this mountaintop, and it happens in a split second. But at this moment, Jesus is coming to destroy all these armies that have come against Israel, and he's going to save them. He's going to deliver them. This is why Paul declared in Romans chapter eleven, verses twenty six and twenty seven. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. But Israel's restoration is only part of God's ultimate plan because he's also going to restore every nation according to the plans that he had set forth at the time of Adam. And the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, again also called the Festival of Ingathering, represents the return of the remnant of the Jewish people to the land of their inheritance. In other words, God is going to bring them back from all the nations where he had scattered them and bring them back into Israel and back to Jerusalem. But it also represents the marriage supper of the Lamb, when all the nations will come up to Jerusalem to worship the king and to celebrate God's marriage to Israel and to his church. So collectively, we are the great assembly of all who are in Christ. The church and Israel are joined as this great assembly. So, Gabby, read for us Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 8. In this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. This Feast of Tabernacles initiates the Messianic Age and the Millennial Kingdom. And what a joyous time when Jesus comes to establish his kingdom in Jerusalem and Israel and over all the nations forever. So there are going to be these five days between the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles. And during this small window, the Lord will pour out upon the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And the Jewish people are going to look upon the Messiah, their Messiah, who they pierced, who they crucified. And they will repent and they will be healed. Christ will then establish his throne in Jerusalem. And again, he's going to bring the dispersed remnant of the Jewish people back from the farthest ends of the earth where he had scattered them. And he's going to bring the remnant of the nations that come through the great tribulation. He's going to bring them up to Jerusalem to his holy mountain. In Zechariah 14, verse 16, it says, 
and it shall come to pass that every one who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Now all the men of Israel were required to come up to the temple in Jerusalem three times per year and assemble before the Lord and to bring an offering before the Lord. And the Hebrew word for assembly is kahal, and in Greek it's ekklesia, which essentially is the same word that is translated into English as church. Now, these assemblies were commanded for the Passover, for the Feast of Pentecost, or Shavuot, and the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. And it's interesting to see how the Lord assembled his people to witness the first two significant events, which is the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus during the Passover, and then the 50 days later, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And again, the Lord will gather the Jewish people from the ends of the earth, uniting them with himself and his church at the Feast of Tabernacles. So, in summary, God has a calendar and he has a prophetic timeline. And he has determined that Israel is his prophetic time clock. So it's our responsibility as the church to align with his time and his purposes, and it's not the other way around. And while these festivals were explicitly given to Israel as part of the Mosaic Covenant, we also learn from Scripture that the early church, which included Gentile believers, celebrated these feasts. The Lord also spoke prophetically of a time when all the nations would come up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles again, as we've already read in Zechariah 14. Isaiah 56, verse 7, the Lord said, For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So I think it should be clear that the feasts were not only solely for the Jewish people, but for all of God's creation. And God ordained the feast of the Passover during the exodus from Egypt before he even gave the law to the Jewish people on Mount Sinai. The Passover, along with these three other convocations, Pentecost and the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles are actually referenced in Scripture as eternal. All the festivals and the high holy days, including the Sabbath, were given again to the nation of Israel as a gift in the Mosaic Covenant, but Israel was to be the vessel through which God would bring his redemptive purposes and salvation to the whole world, as Jesus said in John 4.22, for salvation is of the Jews. And Paul asked the Gentiles this question, what advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Well, much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. This is Romans 3, verses 1 and 2. And what is an oracle? Well, it's merely a person of priestly authority that God uses to declare his prophecies concerning the future. And Israel's prophecies revealed in Scripture, but are hid, that were hidden in the feasts, concern both the first and the second advent of Christ and his future kingdom. And we, the church, are that kingdom. So it remains Israel's calling to teach nations how to walk in God's laws. Gabby, read for us Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3. Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That's Isaiah 2, verse 3. This verse essentially provides God's instruction to the Gentiles, and the Lord warned the church to be watching with great expectation for his imminent return but he never intended for the church to become separated from Israel. 
It was always his plan that the Gentiles would be grafted into true Israel, the believers, the Jewish believers, the natural descendants of Abraham, who by faith have received their Messiah, Jesus. And again, none of this implies in any way that the Gentiles are to become Jewish. On the contrary, the Lord is making his temple a house of prayer for all nations. So the Gentiles in Israel become joined together into, as Paul says, one cultivated olive tree or one new man in Christ. And in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, we see a picture of that. It says, For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. So again, I think you can see how important it is for Christians to have a proper understanding of theology as it relates to Israel and an understanding of the eschatology of the end times as it relates to the return of Christ with his church and the restoration of Israel and the kingdom of God. Yes, very important. And it really helps us understand the meaning of the Hebraic feasts and festivals and that we get to celebrate these festivals not out of obligation, but to honor God and be part of what God is doing to establish his kingdom. Thank you so much, Pastor Eric, for this very insightful discussion. This was great. And I hope all of you listeners, I hope you all enjoyed today's podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. And if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to like it and share it with others. We look forward to you joining us next time on House of David podcast. If you have enjoyed this podcast from House of David Ministries, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. We pray the Lord richly bless you and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.